0: here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So let's go to the Lord in silent prayer, and you think about the things that you want to bring to the Lord's attention, and I guarantee you He's going to hear a perfect prayer from you, because the Scripture tells us we often ask amiss, but we've got the Lord Jesus Christ and of course the Holy Spirit to, to uh, change our prayers. Make them perfect, and of course, the Father will implement a perfect plan. So that is good news. So silent prayer, if you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, Ken, how about a song, please? Thank you, Kenna. Thank you all for that kind singing. Uh, by way of announcements, we are not going to have uh, our prayer meeting nor will we have our Bible study on Wednesday until I can get my handle on this uh, singles thing. So uh, keep me in mind as far as prayer goes. And also remember uh, Tyler who has COVID. So uh, let's pray for it. Tyler, boy, he's doing all right, but uh, uh, he did come down with COVID two days ago, and he is doing all right this morning. Fortunately, Leslie, diabetic, didn't get it, and uh, Emily didn't get it, but uh, the gal that uh, keeps Tyler while they do the weddings, her roommate had it, so that's from where it came. So uh, if you would... Be sure and remember them in your prayers. All right, uh, so no prayer meeting and no uh, Bible study. I will put one on the board, however. I, I'm bored, excuse me. I will put one on the Internet and the podcast, and I usually do that from home in my, quote, study. Uh, so I will do that and you have, can, uh, certainly have access to that. And David did call me this morning and tell me he was really surprised about how well the, the website had done. We had some record, uh, uh and I'll got, get into it. I didn't bring the, I didn't think to, to bring the, uh, or even look on the internet. I've just been so under the weather. Uh, so I didn't look, nor did I look at Kenneth, uh, Financial reports. So we've had about four months in a row where we have uh, had more. Uh, what, what what would you say? More in go than out go. <laughs> in other words, we have been very positive. So uh, again, thank you, Kenneth, and thank David for keeping track of our of not only our intern our website but also our uh, podcast. All right. So much then for announcements. Don't forget the prayer list over here to my left, and use it, uh, and add to it, and delete as the case may be. So, with that said, Ken, how about another song? M
1: number forty. The stand the first, second, and fourth verses.
0: To uh, provide an introduction, if you will, to another aspect of worship. I'm not going to put the chart on the board again. I know you know the chart and what it has to say. But uh, I would remind you that if you want to know all about New Testament giving, you can go to, uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Both of those devote virtually the entire two books about giving. And we do have a a a lesson on the website entitled Giving under Pastor Mary's study book. So you can there go and learn all about what the Bible has to say about giving. So with that said, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And you can think about giving. And if you want to give, you gave. And if you have something to give, just be sure that you can do it. Uh, as I say sometimes, hilariously. In other words, uh, with the right mental attitude. So we do have plates here at the front and in the back, so feel free to exercise your prerogative. But uh, feel free to do that. All right, first we'll have a moment of silent prayer where you have opportunity to give. And then I will close by asking God's blessing upon the gift and the giver and also... Uh, on uh, the rest of the service. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and worship. Now I would uh, ask that you would bless both the gift and the giver, and that you would uh, continue to bless our service as we do want to study to show ourselves approved unto you using uh, 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Thank You, Father, that we can come and name our sins back to You and thus be filled with the Spirit and be teachable. Again, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, last week we completed the study of Paul's trip to Rome. Uh, actually, a week before last. and uh, We touched the highlights last week. And uh, When the clock told 11.30 a.m., I had just begun a study of the doctrine of the woman. And uh, that's because of, of, t- of our study of uh, Titus, where in the second chapter he is instructed by Paul to speak specifically to the women uh, on the island of Crete. All right, uh, we are going to do s- some review again, pick up with point 15 on page 3 with new material. So here we go. Paul is placed in a Caesarean prison and then moved to Rome. Paul remains under house arrest for approximately two years. He continues to witness to both Jew and Gentile. In Rome, Paul writes the four prison epistles, by Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. He is released from prison for some one to two years, during which time he travels to Greece, Crete, and Dalmatia, and perhaps other places not documented. Paul is again arrested, by the way, in Nicopolis. I'm going to turn on the the map where you can see uh, where Nicopolis is. Uh, I marked an X up here in northern Greece or what we call Macedonia. And uh, then we also have a place that we're going to speak to in a minute, which is Troy or Troas. So... Uh, We have it also on the board, and I'll leave it there for a while. All right, so Paul is again arrested in that X up there, in Ecopolis, returned to prison, and executed in circa A.D. 68. Tradition places Paul's death along the Ostian Way outside the city of Rome. Again, somewhere around A.D. 68. Uh, I have provided a map of Rome there for you. And if you look at the southern gate, if you will, you'll see the Ossian uh, Gate, and then you'll see the Ostian Way. And those, of course, are, as noted, somewhere along there is where supposedly he was decapitated. So church history is, indicates to us he was given a choice of committing either Uh, getting into a warm tub of water and slitting his wrist, as was the prerogative of a Roman citizen, or he could be decapitated. And if we use church history as our basis, uh, then we are told uh, in writing that he elected decapitation. Alright, now, introduction to Titus. Titus is a common Latin name. When it came over to us in the Corne Greek, it became either uh, Teton or Titos. Teton being the accusative singular and Titos being the nominative singular form. And uh, we find no mention of Titus in the book of Acts, interestingly enough. We must therefore develop our biography, if you will, from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians the book of Galatians, the book of Titus, and Paul's second epistle to Timothy. So accordingly we can conclude that Titus was closely associated with Paul at Antioch and that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to resolve the issue of grace versus legalism. So at Troy, as we, you can see from the map, or Troas as it's also called, we find Paul disappointed in not finding Titus, Titus had been sent to Corinth after Timothy's failure. He'd gone there to see why they had not collected the, the offering, and uh, apparently he wasn't treated very well. And because he was, he was asked later to go, and he said, "No, I'm not going back there again." But uh, Titus uh, took the bull by the horns and said, "I'll go." So the visit is in part described in 2 Corinthians 2, 12-17, and 2 Corinthians 7, 5-14. And again, a map of the second missionary journey shows you Troas, which is there on the edge of Greece, and then that's called the Hellas Point, uh, where you travel over into Europe from, again, what was then Asia. All right, Titus was apparently sent by Paul on a mission to Corinth to check on the effect of a third letter to the church there. Copies of the mysterious third letter are not extant. We have it mentioned, but we don't have the letter. We have first and second Corinthians, and then I like to call it, uh, first Corinthians A or second Corinthians B, whatever. All right. So Paul was anxious to know how the letter was received. He seemed to be concerned that his letter may have been too harsh and threatening, uh, and the interval, the interval between Paul's first and second imprisonment was the time of the writing, where the apostle Paul and Titus uh, had visited Crete. Second Timothy one five through nine. All right, uh, so it's a letter that he was greatly concerned about, and he wanted to know how it was going uh, over there, and we find. Uh, Titus 1 5 through 9 is related to that letter. All right, uh, now let's see what we've got here. Uh, From his letter, we learn, if you will, about uh, his ideas concerning what should be done in in Corinth. Uh, In other words, they had. in essence, ben, uh, you might say, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say that they had acted inappropriately for, with uh, Timothy, but it certainly looks like that. Uh, but when Titus went over there, he went to see how did they receive that letter. And we know for, since it is mentioned that it was what we might call a hot letter, meaning he told them how the cow ate the cabbage. In other words, you people need to shape up and then he got concerned, maybe I was a little hard on him, so uh, we'll talk a little more about that. But from this letter, we learn of Titus's duties at Crete. He is to complete what Paul had been obliged to leave unfinished, mainly to organize the churches on the island. He was to appoint and train pastor teachers for service. Now, we covered all this before, so I'm moving along rather quickly. But Titus was told to control the rebellious members of the circumcision party, call out the evil Cretans, and urge a decorous, decorous excuse me, life upon the women, Titus one ten through 10-13 and Titus 2, 3-5. through 5. So Titus was to look for the arrival of Artemis and Tychicus and upon their arrival was to join Paul at Nicopolis. He was sending them as missionaries and we do not know where. But uh, they were to be helped and assisted on the way. So whether Titus did or did not join Paul, we do not know. Certainly we have an indication of that in Titus 3.12. So from studying the book of Titus in 2 Timothy, we can conclude with some assurance that Titus was with Paul in Rome during his final imprisonment. He did not stay as we will later see, but we do know he was there for some time and then went to Dalmatia, which of course uh, later became Yugoslavia and then later became several cities, or excuse me, several countries, actually, uh, after the United Nations divided it up. Mainly because you had the Orthodox Catholic Church, and you had the, the uh, Roman Catholic Church, and then you had the, Christ- the, the uh, excuse me, Muslims, and they could not get along, so there was a group that was sent from the UN and we actually furnished troops ourselves to go over there and try to be peacekeeper keepers. <coughs> Excuse me. Whether he stopped to see Paul on his return trip to Crete is not known. So from early church writings, we can conclude with some degree of certainty the following. Titus was permanently connected with Crete. He is said to have been a bishop on the island and to have died there at an advanced age. Uh, The modern capital, Candia, appears to claim the honor of being his burial place. The name Titus was the watchword and battle cry of the Cretans when they had a war with the Venetians. So since the merry month of May is also the month in which Mother's Day is featured and since Paul urges Titus to teach the women of Crete, I want to begin a series on the woman. Titus 2, 3, 4, and 5 will give you indication. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Notice the women need to be trained how to love their husbands and their children. Alright, how to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. And I'm going to turn the chart off. But uh, we will look at the doctrine of the woman. We'll look at the doctrine of the woman's soul. And we'll look at the role of a woman in the local church before we through here. Alright, let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, and 14, which is about where we stopped last week. We actually covered these verses, but uh, not in any detail, of course. Alright, here we go. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship god a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man Uh, she must be silent for adam was formed first then eve and Adam was not the one deceived, it was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So though we see it's in First Timothy, it's what we call a shocker, if you will, because Paul, uh, when we studied the book of First Timothy, and then we studied the book of Second Timothy, uh, this one was uh, one of the uh, lessons to the women, uh, which uh, many women, of course, look at this and say, Oh, wait, wait, wait. In other words, uh, that's what we find in modernity, that they are not to be under the submission of their husbands or uh, not to kept, be kept from teaching in the Bible, teaching the Bible. So I made a point of that in point 14. I said, keep in mind these studies will not necessarily agree with modernity's perspective, but rather it will be based on what the Bible has to say. All right, I think we should begin with what the Bible has to say about the woman. Uh, and we'll start with the doctrine of the woman. This, by the way, is on the Internet. Uh, but uh, I have thought it appropriate to go ahead and cover it here also. All right, the woman of her own volition surrenders her freedom to her right man or some other man. The surrender includes both soul and body. I want to highlight the following. No believer should ever marry an unbeliever. See the doctrine of the right man, right woman for more information. And we find it; the point is made in more than one case. Uh, you're not to be connected to an unbeliever because how can someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit be involved with someone who is not? Uh, a believer and thus uh, subject to all manner of demons. Uh, So the two are just incompatible. Alright, every woman should study everything in the Bible regarding Category 2 love. That is to say, love of the right man for the right woman and the love of the right woman for the right man. So before saying yes to a man, the woman must ask herself the question, Can I submit myself as a slave to this man? Remember, you will never be smarter than your right man and you cannot change your man. Most women, unfortunately, enter marriage with that belief that they will be able to change bozo into a prince. Alright, the real question. Can your fiancé love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? And that is most key for men and must be stressed in wedding ceremonies that you must love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And uh, this, of course, is the responsibility of every man. While the woman submits, the man loves as Christ loved the church or should. So ladies, what you see may be what you get. In other words, I put in there the potential. You may or you may not get it. And, of course, it's a crapshoot anyway because uh, sometimes you marry a man who's uh, positive to the Word, seems to be capable of teaching, and then he goes south on you. You know, and by going south means he's negative to the Word and goes his own way, and so there you are. You did your job. And, of course, that's all any of us uh, has the responsibility for doing is to do our job. Husbands, to love the wife as Christ loved the church, and the women to be ready to submit, regardless of the, the circumstances, post-marriage circumstances. So we, women need to ask themselves, can I make this man Lord of my life? To become one with a man, the woman surrenders freedom and much of her privacy. In response to her right man, the woman should receive love and happiness. Again, should there is, of course... Uh, as it should be according to the Scripture. Excuse me. The woman's submission is total soul submission. So she must know all about not only her soul, but her right man's soul. A woman's soul is structured just like her right man's soul. Every right woman has self-consciousness, and when she becomes aware of the man she loves, She becomes infatuated with him very often and tries to please him, and a right man must cater to this enthusiasm and never, never squelch it. All right, a woman may soon find her enthusiasm for her right man fading. It is then from the mentality of her soul that her love must come. This is pivotal and will become success or failure, will determine, excuse me, success or failure in a marriage. All right, there should be before marriage mutual spiritual growth, a product of metabolization of Bible doctrine, and a chart will illustrate. And I put this chart together. You know we have one that shows the the x-axis by itself. As a man takes in the Word of God, naming his sin back to God, and and of course sinning and then naming his sin back to God all the while, taking in the Word of God, and he grows spiritually. Uh, And then same with the woman. So I put the two together so you can see this is what should be happening. Both should be taking in the Word of God, um, and when the sinning, citing the sin back to God and thus continuing the process, And by doing that, the two become one. Alright, and that's God's program and God's plan. So both the right man and the right woman use their volition to learn to love one another. It is something that has to be learned. And uh, it should be, of course, a mutual thing as each uh, learns together. Alright, she must use her emotions as a responder to the Bible doctrine resident in her soul. It is it is the job of the man to love her, lead her, and expose her to what the Bible has to say about marriage while respecting her volition. He must never bully her or react to her moods. A man should not be a reactor. He should be indeed uh, the opposite of being a re- reactor, which is, of course, to uh, pursue her and while at the same time respecting her and her various needs. Uh, and thats you think about it for a moment. If you're going to love her as Christ loved the church, uh, that of course will be uh, uh, difficult at times and easy at times. But it doesn't say whether it's easy or whether it's hard. It's what you are to do, men. And of course, the woman is to be then uh, submissive. Alright, he must be the initiator, that is the male, and never the responder. Even when it is clear, she does not appreciate either him or her situation. And that's difficult for a man, just as it's difficult for the woman to be a responder in all situations. But nonetheless, it doesn't change. The Bible is quite clear with reference to how it is to work. And young women and young men need to know that and to uh, do their very best, if you will. Now, the way you do your very best is to take in the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit. Alright, and that requires a positive volition uh, to Bible teaching. Alright, a woman also has an old sin nature with trends, areas of strength and weakness, and a man must know these and use great judgment in these areas. And I put our Old Sin Nature chart up there, which you've seen before, of course, uh, where it has this area of strength at home plate. Over at first base, you have antinomian trend. Uh, you have uh, second base areas of weakness. That's personal sin. Then you have over at third base, the asceticism trend. So we might have a trend toward going to church, visiting on Tuesday, or going to prayer meeting on Wednesday. Uh, in other words, that's could be the ascetic trend, carrying your Bible wherever you go, etc., etc. Or you may have an antinomian trend, which means you're a boozer, you're a chaser. And uh, uh, you just have to understand that's your trend. And you work against it. And the way you work against it is to take in the Word of God and thus reduce personal sin while, of course, uh, fortifying yourself at home plate in your area of strength, where you, of course, sometimes will have human good and sometimes divine good. But we've been over that and no doubt on more than one occasion and actually have a doctrine of the old sin nature. Now, there's only one way a man can know about her soul, and we've seen the soul, we've seen the method of growth for both of them, we've seen their method of growth for each one individually, as we just noted in our charts. Uh, but there's only one way a man can know about her soul and that is to talk with her. Most men's are, men's, most men are fools in this regard. But, uh, it's up to the man to understand that that's one of the things that they need to do. Uh, and of course, uh, I've seen all kind of dog and pony shows at various uh, times by various people about how to be a good husband and so forth. And one of them that I particularly remember was you, you're at work and something happens. Well, you give, you put a little card in your pocket and you write down the things you want to talk with her about. And then I know a real-life situation where someone saw what was in his pocket and got mad as heck and said, you mean he has to remind himself to talk to me about so-and-so, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, sometimes you can't win for losing. But the point being, whatever it takes to open up with the wife both ways, the man and the wife, and share with one another uh, things. And then you learn from that, of course, about each other's needs, strengths, and weaknesses. So let me give you several points both the right man and right woman should know about the first three divine institutions. Key doctrines. Or, you know there are four divine institutions, volition, marriage, family, and nationalism. But in the personal relationship, I thought we would just talk about volition, marriage, and family. Alright, the woman was formed out of man to be his essential supporting element. As a result, the Bible assigns headship to the man. In the divine order, man's authority over his wife is based on Creation, and not superiority. Alright, Genesis 2, 21, 22, and 23. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place uh, with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Which in the Hebrew is Ishah, Ish for man and Ah from out from man, uh, for she was taken out of man. Very pretty word, Ishah. And of course, when she became after the fall and started having children, she was known as Kuvah, which is of course the word for Eve. All right, a man ought to rec- ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was the man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head, which of course is her longer hair. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Alright, notice again 1 Timothy 2.12 and 13, that very controversial verse which I read in its context earlier. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And of course, again, this is one of those verses that causes a great deal of controversy given modernity's trends and tendencies. <coughs> Excuse me. As in the case of the son to the father within the triune Godhead, the woman's position of dependence indicates a difference in function, not inferiority. Woman was created to be man's a helpmeet, a helper suitable for him or an associate to complete him. So you find a helpmeet, helper helper suitable for him, or an associate to complete him. Notice Genesis two, eighteen, nineteen and twenty. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names for all the livestock, the birds of the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so, from this verse, it's pretty evident man is incomplete without the right woman. Uh, and it is responsibility then to follow. Uh, what the Bible has to say about finding your right man or right woman. And of course, the best way to do that is to get into the Word of God, stay into the Word of God, and let God uh, provide rather than to go out and seek it in various places, which is very common today, unfortunately. All right, thus she is designated to complement man, an essential supporting element to complete him. All right, the husband's leadership was made necessary by the fall, not the creation. All right, Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Alright, verse 14 of 1 Timothy 2, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So her fall was much different from the man. She actually thought she was helping God out because she was going to be someone to, to uh, again make decisions with reference to good and evil. And uh, the man, however, on the other hand, just simply said, okay, where's the apple? I'm going to eat it. And uh, sad situation, of course. But there was a difference, if you'll note there. Uh, the woman was deceived in becoming a sinner. And uh, the man, however, just chose to be a sinner. So you might debate uh, all uh, manner of reasons with reference to which was best and which is worse. But the point is it's what the Bible has to say. Again, verse 14. Alright, in Hebrew society, the ordinary woman had a secondary position legally and was considered part of man's property. This is how it began, but it would soon change. Notice Genesis thirty-one fourteen. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Talking about the dowry. So at one time the daughters received no inheritance until Moses consulted the Lord and a change in policy occurred. Notice Numbers 27, 4 through 7. said, Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to, to them. So you can see there was a major change. People talk about the Bible is. It doesn't have any changes in it. Well, it changes from time to time, as the case may be. And God chooses to make it known to you. But after you have the whole enchilada, uh, there are no changes after that. All right. in actual practice within the home, the woman's status was one of dignity, especially as a wife and mother in the home. Notice Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then in Leviticus 19.3, each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Our Deuteronomy 21.18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them uh, when they discipline him, then there is something that is to be done. He's been, he should be turned over to the priest. The priest will consult God and determine whether he is incorrigible or not. In other words, will he ever change? And if God gives him the sign that he's never going to change, then they stone him to death. Uh, so that takes care of a lot of crime, uh, in a nation, but that's exactly why it's there. Alright, disrespect toward her was severely punished. If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother, and his blood will be on his own head. Again, the importance of one of the divine institutions, the family. And then, verse sixteen of Deuteronomy twenty-seven curses the man who dishonors his father or his mother. Then all the people shall say, "Amen." All right. She also shared in the religious life of the community. Leviticus ten fourteen. you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved. I'm talking about the wave offering now. And the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place. They have been given to you and your children as you share of the Israelites' fellowship offerings. In Numbers 18, 11. This also is yours. Whatever is set aside from the gifts of all the wave offerings of the Israelites. Again. Uh, giving opportunity of the woman to share. I give this to you and your sons and daughters at your regular, sh- as your regular share. Everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean may eat it. And then in that same vein, Deuteronomy 12, 12, reading through verse 14. Actually, we'll jump down to verse 18. says, And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and your daughters, your man servants, your maidservants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. In other words, there's a place for that to be done, uh, as you know. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Deuteronomy 12.18 then says, Instead you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place the Lord your God will choose, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, and the Levites from your towns, and you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. So again, in Judah they went to Jerusalem, but then up north, in the in Israel, as it is called, the northern kingdom, there were places set aside for the offerings. All right. Women participated in the arts, such as singing and dancing, and in weaving for the tabernacle. A story about Miriam, which you may recall. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourine, tambourine, tambourines, and dancing. Miriam sang to them, "Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted." The harshness writer we have. Have been hurled into the sea, again referring to the Red Sea, uh, and the Egyptians, who many lost their lives chasing Israel. So those presenting an offering of silver and bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn of fine linen, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair a reference to what was used to build the tabernacle first and then much later than the temple. All right, they could take, that is women could take part in business such as real estate ventures in the manufacture and sale of linen garments and tents. And you will find in Proverbs chapter 31, reading through the, actually the end end of that chapter, uh, the, um, a dissertation or actually a presentation, if you will, of the attributes of the perfect wife in other words it actually tells us that women can be involved in business and in fact uh, uh, gives indication that while the man sat at the temple gates reading the Wall Street Journal the women were running the business excuse me I said the Wall Street Journal it used to be true alright here we go so a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies Topping down to verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. Then verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. So you can read the entire chapter beginning in verse 10 and you'll see the things that she is permitted to do. Now that will be uh, outside the local church. When we get to the doctrine of the woman's role in the local church, you'll find quite a departure from this particular series of verses. All right, Acts 18, 2 and 3. And we will get there one of these days. Acts 18, 2 and 3. There he met as an example of someone working, who also worked beside Paul, who also served as his helper uh, in not only the the matter of tent making, but also in the matter of witnessing. So there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who was a pretty good Caesar, but uh, The Jews were causing trouble, so he thought the best way to handle this situation is to get all the Jews out of there. So he ran them all out of Rome, and they, uh, of course, were were dispatched to other lands. So because Cartius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, and Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. and They became very instrumental in training Apollos, for example, and uh, going wherever Paul went and sharing in his work. So some even played a significant role in military and political life. For example, there was Deborah and Yael and Bathsheba. And we'll first look at Deborah the prophetess. She was a uh, prophet who uh, did her work underneath a particular tree in the land, and uh, she was given information from God and God, she would share it with others. So here we go. She's going to actually have to do something because the man is, quote, gutless, if you will, uh, and is not uh, quite the soldier he ought to be and he will pay for it. So I'm going to read. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidot, was leading Israel at that time, leading in her service as a prophetess. God would speak to her, and then she would announce, and people would come to that particular tree where she liked to sit, and they would learn things that God had told her to tell them. So she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. And... Uh, uh as we're going to look at verse and going to uh, judges now Deborah a prophetess where well we were in we were there by the way I'm going to go ahead and read verse four and five again Deborah a prophetess the wife of Lapido was leading Israel at that time and then we go to verse five where she held held the court if you will under the palm of Deborah now let's go to verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abinonam, from Kedish in Naphtali, and said to him, That'd be the sixth son of Jacob, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. Again, Zebulun being, a, a, I think, the, the, I'm trying to think whether Issachar or Zebulun came first, but anyway. One was a right-handed pitcher, and the other was a left-handed pitcher, but both were in the bullpen. All right, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander. Of Jab yeah, this is God telling her now what to say. God said, "I will lead. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabim's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands." Barak said to her. If you go with me, I will go. <laughs> but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now there's a real soldier in it. Uh, very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, uh, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with the with Barak to Kadesh. Now let's go to verse 16. But Barak pursued the chariots. Apparently, uh, of course, the Enemies of being led by Sisera had chariots, and of course, Israel didn't because Israel was told not to have horses or chariots because that would remind them of Egypt. But instead, apparently, from what we have elsewhere, there was a great deal of rain and the chariots could not be used. So uh, they were ripe for defeat. So Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hirosheth, Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, and not a man was left. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent. That's the commanding officer of the enemy. To the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Because there were friendly relations between Yabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. So they were not Jews, if you will. But... Uh, They were friendly to the Jews. So Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a uh, a cover over him because he, of course, was tired. He had been uh, in the retreat and he was thirsty. He said, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. Well, she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway to the tent, he told her. If someone comes and he asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Yael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. So you can see how, of course, uh, uh, later on, commanding officer of the Israelite forces would be known as a man who had not done his job but in fact uh, a woman had taken care of the situation because he didn't have the uh, uh, intestinal fortitude to to do the job nor of course the the uh, desire to lead his men uh, and trust Deborah who was a prophetess of God. So, so much then for uh, our lesson. We'll pick up next week, the Lord willing, and the Crick doesn't rise uh, as we continue on in uh, our study of the woman, the woman's role in the church, and the and on and on. All right, let's have our invitation now. Uh, okay, if you will bow your heads and pray along with me, because. David was telling us this morning on the phone that there's been a lot of activity out there. People going to this site and that site and reading this particular doctrine and that particular doctrine. and So uh, we don't know how many are saved or not saved. So it's up to us to get the Word of God out to them. So let's pray, if you will, with me as we uh, just want to set forth the way of salvation Simply put, the Scripture clearly tells us, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon Him." And of course, you know, Christ came unto His own Israel, but His own received Him not. But as many as did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. So it's our job to be ready to give an answer. And somebody asks us. So we're here to present the claims of Christ. And uh, again, it's all grace. All that God is free to do for each and every one of us on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. So I'll pause for just a second, just a moment, to give opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then I will close with our benediction. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and worship, to be able to present the claims of Christ, to be able to present the role of the woman and the role of the man and the role of family. So guide us now and direct us. And I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I've presented. Make it real. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.